0: So much bad news, Anderson. I can't let go of the good news. How was the weekend with Wyatt? Come on, let's see the smile. Come on, there it is. Nothing changes in uh, daddy's was, it face. It was great.
1: <laughs> Look, I, I love it. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, I spent the whole weekend just uh, looking at him and burping him and feeding him, and it was great. Yeah, I was saying during the break, he's like a little amphibious tree frog like
1: on my chest and yes. just tiny little...
0: You will come up with yeah. better metaphors for what your son reminds you of than an amphibious <laughs> tree frog but you're, you're new to this. You got a new mean. baby and it's a new you too. I love watching you <laughs> laugh and smile. There will be nothing else like it in your life. I love you. Congratulations again. Mm. It's good news. I have to mooch off it. Thanks. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We're back in New York City doing the show with the rest of the CNN lineup and we have Dr. Anthony Fauci tonight. Uh, Who better to ask, what about these new projections uh, so dire about daily deaths? Does he buy this? Does he have a better picture of our future between now and June? No matter which model, though, let's be honest, there is consensus. Reopening is going to cost us cases. It's going to cost us death. The real question for you is, are you okay with it? Are you okay with paying the cost? This isn't about facts. It's about how you feel about what you know to be the facts. Science isn't going to decide these moves. Politics will. Here's the proposition. Will we choose to stay together and stay at home until the virus is beaten back to safer levels? Or is this new reopening our emerging reality? Will it really become everyone for themselves? What do you say? Let's get after it. Now, be clear, it's not about the media causing madness and excitement and concerns about what will happen. The news is being driven by government research. A key model often cited by the White House now projects 134,000 deaths by early August, nearly double the previous prediction of more than 72,000. Another model, reportedly from the Trump administration itself, projects a steep rise in coronavirus deaths and cases in the weeks ahead. Just as many places are reopening again, even though not one of them has met the CDC guidelines for doing so. Now, the numbers may confuse you, but this will bring it home. The model equates to us having the number of deaths we had on 9-11 every single day in this country. And again, you can argue about the numbers and the assumptions behind them, but there is no arguing, unless you're on state TV, that reopening will mean more cases and more death. You don't need a famous doctor to tell you that, but we do need Dr. Anthony Fauci to kind of keep us straight about where our efforts should be right now. Doctor, welcome back to primetime.
3: Good to be with you, Chris.
0: You didn't do the models You're not about the modeling uh, on this, but these numbers uh, are making people nervous, not nervous enough to not reopen, by the way, which is an important point. What is your perspective on them?
3: Yeah, well, models that change numbers like this, Chris, often confuse people, but the fundamental core principle behind it doesn't change. And that's something that we've been saying all along. When you have a lot of virus activity, and you know that you're able to contain it to a certain degree by the mitigation, the physical separations, the kinds of things that we've been talking about, gateway, phase one, phase two, phase three, and you start to leapfrog over some of these, you're inviting rebound. And rebound is gonna give you spikes, and spikes are gonna give you the kinds of numbers. I don't know if those numbers, because I have skepticism about models, Mm -hmm. about they're only as good as the assumptions you put into them, But they're not completely misleading. They're telling you something that's a reality, that when you have mitigation that's containing something, and unless it's down in the right direction and you pull back prematurely, you're going to get a rebound of cases. And that's something that I've been talking about in multiple interviews multiple times. It is tempting rebound when you do something prematurely.
0: Now, you know, everybody sees you as the person who wants us to stay the course and keep with the social distancing and let's get the science right. Uh, But they don't also understand that Tony Fauci knows what economic hard times are about, uh, how your family came up, what life was like uh, for you coming up. You know that people are in need right now. You know money is short for them. How do you balance those interests in your own heart and head that you know people are strapped by this and they're worried about their families losing whatever dreams they have? How do you balance
3: well, Chris, I'm I'm not at all insensitive. In fact, I'm very sensitive to the potential downsides of the kind of in, uh, economic crises that we're having, the suffering of people who are not working. I mean, that's something that, I mean, you'd have to be so callous not to really feel the pain that people are feeling. But what I do know as a scientist, a physician, and a public health official, that unless you turn this around in the right direction and try because of your desire an understandable desire to get back to some form of normality. If the situation is right to do that, if you're starting to see things coming down and you start pulling back gradually and you have the capability of when you do get blips to essentially put the lid on them, there's nothing wrong with doing that carefully. The thing that I get really concerned about, despite this concern about what economic uh, consequences you might have, is that when you pull back and the virus is doing this, it's only gonna do that. It's not gonna turn around and come down. So there is a balance, and you've gotta look at both sides of it. And there are, I mean, the United States is a big country, as you know, Chris, and that things are gonna be different from one region to the other. And I think what sometimes confuses people is that when you talk about pulling back under certain circumstances, there are regions, areas, counties, cities, In which you can do that safely now, but there are others that, if you do that, it's really dangerous, and that's the thing you've got to be careful of.
0: You are losing this argument, uh, doctor. Not to me. For sure. You can beat me in your sleep. For sure. But people are fatigued. Some of it is need, as we spoke, and that's legitimate. And maybe you know you're the wrong guest, but maybe uh, government should be doing things it's not doing to help American families. That's not your wheelhouse. Um, But there is fatigue. They want out. You saw the pictures from New York City uh, this weekend Uh, when I went out uh, to shop this weekend. Everybody was out there. A lot of people had masks uh, and there was some non mask shaming where I was, but not in the parks. The people have had it. The seasons are changing. It feels like summer. It's been long enough. How do you combat people's willingness to accept more cases, to accept even more death?
3: Well, you know, it's the balance of something that's a very difficult choice, like how many deaths and how much suffering are you willing to accept to get back to what you want to be some form of normality sooner rather than later? You know, it's something that people feel very differently about it. You know, myself, coming from the vantage point that I come and seeing the danger in it, I have to, I feel I have a moral obligation to give the kind of information that I'm giving. People are going to make their own choices I cannot, nor anybody, force people under every circumstance to do what you think is best. The only thing that I can do, Chris, is to give the information based on evidence and based on experience. And that's what I've been doing right from the very beginning. And there are people that are going to be disagreeing with me, some of them rather violently in many respects, you know, telling me that I'm crazy, you know, fire Fauci, do this, do that. That's part of the game. I'm just going to keep giving you the information that I feel is necessary to make the decisions that I think are prudent
0: decisions. People who think they're gonna shake you up with their mouths don't know you uh, very well. Uh, The idea that it happened this fast, are you surprised that after the country really did seem to get it, that we have to stay home, I know we don't wanna do it, but it's working, that it snapped back this fast?
3: No, I'm not surprised, and the reason I'm not surprised, Chris, is because one thing this virus has that's really different from so many other viruses that we have experience with, it has a phenomenal capability and efficiency in spreading from person to person. This is not a trivial issue. This virus has enormous capabilities of spreading like wildfire, we know that. We've seen it in general, and we've seen it in confined situations. The Teddy Roosevelt aircraft carrier with the explosion of cases, many of them asymptomatic. The diamond princess, when you have people together. This is a virus that spreads as easily as any virus that I've ever known, apart maybe from measles. Mm Mm. Measles is probably the only one that doesn't do it as well as
0: this. And look, you know, you you were at the vanguard of the efforts against AIDS. Uh, You know what it's like to have a viral spread and to fight to have a way to treat it and to control it. Um, So you're not new to this. And the reserve that you have here and the concern you have should be heeded. But it's not because people want to get back and we'll just have to watch what the price is. And unfortunately, even though you're not pushing the reopening, you will have to deal with the consequences of it. Now, what I will not spend time doing tonight, uh, Dr. Fauci, is asking you about testifying or not testifying or questions about the messaging. Uh, I don't know why anybody who wants you in position spends their time coming after you about political questions. You're not a politician, in fact, in my experience, which I guess is about 35 years, You're a lousy politician. Uh, You don't make those decisions. You don't want to make those decisions. You testify where they tell you, and you won't if they tell you not to, because that's your job. Uh, So let's not talk about that. I want to talk about something else that nobody knows. Uh, Why do I know what uh, Tony Fauci thinks? I've known him a lot of my life, but I've never known him the way I know you through this pandemic. I have spoken to you almost without exception every day, and you have been calling me out of personal concern, to make sure that I'm okay, that my wife was okay, that my son was okay, 11 o'clock at night, later, waiting for my show to end, Saturday, Sunday morning, the rare time you have with your family. Why?
3: Well, first of all, because you're a friend. I mean, uh, you know, we have a professional relationship, but you're a friend. I've known you since, I hate to say it, since you were almost a kid. And the fact is, you were going through some difficult times. I don't think that the people who were seeing you on the show were really experiencing uh, or realizing how you were really sucking it up to look relatively normal. But when you finished the show and we would start chatting at 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night, you, you, know, you were wiped out. You, you not only had the acute uh, difficulty with a virus that was replicating in you, but you had some of the secondary effects, You know, the fever, the aches, the feeling washed out. And even when you're viral negative, you know, I was concerned uh, because you're uncomfortable. I mean, people look at you, you know, you look pretty good right now. But boy, you you put on a great act in front of the TV because you were really wiped out badly. I was worried about you there for a while because we know and I didn't want to scare you. I gave you the truth that there is a period of time in some individuals when you look like you're recovering and then all of a sudden things go really bad. The reason why that happens, as you and I have discussed over the phone at night, is we're not even sure. We don't even have a full grasp of the pathogenesis of why some people do what you did. You felt bad, you felt bad, and then you started getting better and better and better. Some people, they feel good, they feel bad, they feel bad, and then they start to feel better, and then boom, they go downhill. We need to figure out what that is, because when we do, it'll help us to intervene to do something about it and I so know that I that cared knowledge. about you go ahead no I say and I cared about you but I was worried about you that's what I, I I why appreciate it. I appreciate I you being
0: gentle with me about it but listen I just want you to know how much I appreciate it uh, not just from Tony the guy um, but as a member of the administration I know the administration wanted to make sure that I was okay I appreciate it I really do I won't forget it I always try to be fair um, but uh, that's something that, uh, you know, just doesn't go away. You know, people care about you personally and your wife and your kid. It resonates. So thank you for taking care of me the way you do. Thank you for giving me all the information uh, that you did. And the only reason I'm sharing it on TV, instead of saying it to you, as I have many times in person, I want people to know who they're getting in Tony Fauci. Uh, it's not just TV. It's not just 30 years of excellence in the scientific field. Um, the head and the heart that comes together uh, in your body is the real deal. Dr. Fauci. And that's why people believe in you. It's not the science. The numbers are all over the place. Nobody knows what the hell they're talking about with this virus or what's going to happen. But they know uh, that where you're coming from is a point of concern in humanity. And I know that firsthand and I want my audience to know it as well. It's never been more true about a public official than it is about you. So Tony, thank you for caring about me and my family. Thank you for caring about all of us. I know you're worried as hell about where we're going. Uh, And whatever happens, we gotta just try to keep ourselves together.
3: All right. Thank you very much, Chris. Great being with you, my friend.
0: Dr. Fauci, uh, the pleasure and the privilege is mine. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I wanted you to know that I'm kind of tired of the whole personal sharing thing, to be honest with you, but I've never had anybody do uh, what Tony Fauci did with me. Uh, he's got a lot on his plate, but he took time and the administration knew and they wanted to know. I respect it. All of you. Thank you. This is one of the nights uh, that we have our leader watching. I appreciate Uh, what you did for me and my family and caring about us. I'll never forget it. Now, uh, where we're looking in this country right now, one of the biggest shifts uh, in one of the states where the governor has been facing protests and rebellion uh, for all the closing now, we're seeing a shift. Businesses are suddenly set to reopen legally this week in California. What does that mean for L.A.'s mayor? Okay, he's already warned crowds uh, may not come back to concerts, sporting events. But what does he do now? How does he deal with what we were just talking to Tony Fauci about needs and wants? The mayor next. Hey, everybody's feeling the pressure. We knew this would happen as states start to reopen. Pressure on other states is going to grow. California's governor today took a step toward reopening businesses, despite the state not yet seeing a steady two-week decline in coronavirus cases. That's the CDC standard. And by the way, it's not that harsh a standard if you look at other countries. Now, some retail stores will begin to reopen on Friday. Clothing stores, florists, bookstores, you know, they're all going to do curbside pickup. But without that two-week decline... Look, you know what the concern is, especially if you're the mayor of a place like Los Angeles. The city's stay at home order will not be entirely lifted in the days ahead, but there may be some easing of restrictions. How do you balance doing what's right when you know that so much of that will be wrong? Mayor Eric Garcetti joins us now. Thank you. I know this is a crazy day for you. I appreciate you carving the time out for us, Mr. Mayor.
2: Hey, man, great to see you back in
0: studio. Welcome home. It is good to be here with the fake city behind me. Uh, let me ask you this, Mr. <laughs> Mayor. How do you deal with yes. this? Because I know you're getting calls. Um, hey, we're going to die here. The businesses aren't going to reopen. This is going to take us years. Money is tight. You're very responsive to those calls ordinarily, let alone now. How do you balance what's right versus with what feels like what the people want?
2: Well, look, it's, it's exciting. We're all really hungry uh, to see those steps happen. But you've got to make sure... That we're not just hungry but we're smart uh, here in los angeles we've been lucky we adopted swift measures we've expanded testing to everybody including asymptomatic people uh, we have some best you know practices not just in this country but i think in the world but all that could go away especially in a city where 96 of us have not yet gotten coronavirus so we want to make sure we take those steps carefully our order goes to may 15th the governor who i support did a great job today Um, He didn't say that everybody in the state has to open. He said they now can open. So a rural mountain county as big as L.A. County, but with 9000 people might have a different circumstance than L.A., where some parts are as dense as New York and other places are suburban, but where we have to be careful. So I I have a lot of trust that we can take those steps. I'll give you one example. We've had the construction trades working throughout this Mm -hmm. and we we inspect them. We make sure they have PPE and we haven't seen outbreaks among our construction crews. That's really important. So I believe that we can. But people got to remember, this is not about mayors and governors. This is about their own discipline of knowing we're not moving beyond COVID-19. We're just starting to learn how to live with it.
0: Now, I remember that. Uh, and I remember when the governor was contemplating what to do. And to be fair to the governor, unlike other governors, he's given enforcement um, latitude uh, to mayors, uh, especially of a big city like L.A. And that's helpful because he can't know the city the way you know it. So that's a good thing going for California. But that was a ballsy move, uh, letting the construction stay open. It was very controversial. It's paid yep. off. Do you believe that building construction is unique? in terms of people being outside, and it's an industry um, that is very adherent to code as it is, or do you think it gives you hope for other businesses in general?
2: It gives me a lot of hope, we have to be careful. We're not throwing the doors open to everybody or else we're gonna see some bad, bad numbers quickly. But we have seen retail in the form of grocery stores stay open with a lot of protections and maybe we need to add more, retail I think has shown it can work manufacturing out here. We have a huge apparel industry like you do in New York. We've had hundreds of companies making non-surgical masks and they spaced themselves out. They took maybe three shifts where they used to have one, do it 24 hours. So they've adjusted. So I think manufacturing can too. And lastly, absolutely. Some of the outdoor things, whether it's recreational spaces or things like construction, you just have to be thoughtful. You can't give into political pressure where people are saying, do this because I'm getting antsy. Listen to the doctor's Don't make it as a politician, but make it as a professional. And I do think that there is going to be uh, some good steps forward. One last thing, acknowledge you're going to make missteps, but you'll learn from them and you'll correct them quickly. And if you have the right measures out there, you got to tell people, okay, we're in a yellow zone now where we can move forward, but we might have to go to orange and hold or red and step backwards because we know this virus will do things regardless of how we act. And we're going to see some spikes probably in the fall, for sure in the winter. And we have to be ready.
0: You know, I've said this before. Uh, I don't envy uh, being in public service right now in a leadership position like you are. I know you guys are getting some shine and frankly, you deserve it, Mr. Mayor. I know uh, that people have been responding optimistically, but here's the reality of politics. Um, it, it's almost you know, I don't, I don't want to say anything that jinxes anybody's health, but it is almost impossible to not have more cases. And more bad outcomes as a reflection of reopening with where we are right now. Tony Fauci could tell you that, but you know it as well. They're going to blame you when bad things happen. Um, And that's going to be a tough time, because if you have what is being anticipated, more cases, more hospitalizations, more stress on the system, and then you have a bump in the fall, are you having nightmares about what
2: it could look like for your city? No question. I mean, people like black and white, right? Look at our politics. People don't like nuance. People don't like uh, difficult answers. They want things to just be clear one way or the other. But our black and white, black, which is shut down the economy forever until we all strangle to death our livelihoods, is unacceptable. White, you know, throw everything open and watch people die. That's unacceptable, too. So we all have to be comfortable living in that gray space. And absolutely, I take responsibility for everything that happens in the city. I didn't bring a virus to Los Angeles, but it's important for me to lead. But I remind people it's not just about a mayor. It's about 4 million people in the city, 10 million people in this county, 19 million in our metro area. If we have the discipline, leaders are all around us. They're next door. They're in the room with you. They're down the street. They're in your workplace. And we all have to help each other lead or else we all bear some of the blame of what happens. But if we do it right, how often do you get to save thousands and maybe even millions of lives We'll look back in this chapter and say it wasn't perfect. Every disaster is messy, but America finally found its soul. We rose to the moment and we did what was right and we did it for each other. We didn't expect government to do it on its own. We expect a lot out of government, but we also saved the day.
0: There's no question. Uh, this was never going to be just about government, but also acutely so. You guys have had to figure out how to do it for yourselves. And the American people have had to figure out how to do it for themselves. No savior was going to come in and sweep them up. What is your best working understanding of how much more flow your capacity system can take.
2: We're good right now. We're holding strong. We have, you know, over a thousand ventilators available right now, a thousand plus hospital beds, over 230 ICU beds, and we've got the capacity to surge even more. But that's the number that every citizen should be asking their mayor and their governor. What's the hospital capacity? Not just the number of cases. Mm -hmm. What are the hospital admissions? And what's the capacity? Because we should be shutting things down quickly when it's reaching capacity or getting towards it. And we should open them up when capacity opens up. To me, it's the most important measure we have.
0: You know, Pandora's box, I want to ask you one thing and then I got to let you go because your time is tight. Um, Pandora's box, you know, is going to live itself out as a is not a mythology, but a reality. Uh, Now, people are not going to want to go back. And that's going to be a political challenge as well. You have a significant uh, homeless population. Uh, People migrate from all over the country uh, to California because of the weather and other places on the West Coast. How much strain are you under in servicing that population right now? And what will this move mean for you?
2: Well, there's certainly always strain. But as I said, we had the public health emergency before COVID-19 arrived in a lot of America's cities. And it's called homelessness. I called two years ago for a FEMA level response. Finally, and to their credit, FEMA is allowing us to pay to put people into housing, hotel rooms and shelters before they're even hit by the disaster. This is before they have COVID-19. So I'm really actually pretty jazzed, pretty excited about this moment. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, not just to house thousands of people as we've done off of our streets already and hopefully thousands more, but shame on all of us collectively, federal, state, and local, if we let them just hit the streets after this. So we're spending a lot of time figuring out, let's make sure that these folks who are vulnerable to death, you're twice as likely to die on the streets if you're homeless than if you're housed. Let's make sure that those pre-existing conditions long after COVID-19 don't kill more Americans just because they're experiencing homelessness. We've done it for vets. We've helped a lot of them. We've reduced by 90 percent our veterans homelessness here in L.A. We can do it for non vets, too. And that shows the soul of who we are.
0: Mm, I know a lot of people are listening to you right now and they just went veterans homeless. Yeah. A huge part of the homeless population is veterans who haven't gotten the help that they need. You got a good one in Eric uh, Garcetti, though, the mayor of Los Angeles. You look these people in the eye when they're homeless on the street. You see them as human beings, maybe you know, veterans as well, human beings uh, who need the help. Uh, you always have a platform here to talk about the need, especially where our most vulnerable are involved. Good luck to you going forward.
2: Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Be right. well, Chris. Thank you, sir.
0: Mayor Eric Garcetti. Big job out there. The eyes of the country will be on them. Why? Futures in doubt. Uh, But we're learning more all the time. Right. And one of the big lessons uh, that we've been aware of on this show is this virus has been outside China and around this world a lot longer than they were telling us. Remember, January into January, first case. Now they got one in December outside China. And guess what? This person says they never went to China. So where did they get it? What we're learning about how long this has been happening. Chief Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Next. All right. Have you heard this yet? A hospital in Paris has a story to tell. This is what they've been doing. And you're going to see a lot of this in this country. They started to backtrack. They went back to old samples of patients who came in before the pandemic with flu-like symptoms that they couldn't figure out, and it wasn't the flu, in December. And remember what I said weeks ago, because of anecdotes like this, we're going to keep going back. Doctors there say they found evidence that one man who hadn't even been to China tested positive. In December, that's a month before France even reported its first cases. Dr. Sanjay Gupta has been ahead on this cause for concern for many weeks. We don't know, but the suspicions have been there and they are growing. First, in France, Sanjay, where did the guy get it if he never went to China? What's their best guess at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he most, most likely got it uh, from the community, uh, which raises a, a whole another level of concern. If you remember, Chris, end of January, the first patient diagnosed end of February a month later is when they say they have evidence of community transmission that this is now spreading within the community not just from people who had known exposure to somebody so if if he got this in December with no known specific contact he's a fishmonger so if uh, you know maybe maybe he got it from an animal market Uh, maybe there was somebody else that had had flown in from China and he got it from that person we don't know I mean this is um, it's just like you said Chris it's 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 quite a stunning uh, finding Uh, but not that surprising at the same time. I mean, I don't think we ever sort of thought, uh, the the scientific community never thought that we definitely found the first patient. We definitely found the first patient, zero, so to speak. But I think, you know, the fact that uh, in China we were saying the first patients were diagnosed in December, this guy was diagnosed in December, possibly getting it from the community, does mean, just as you've said, Chris, in the past as well, that if it was community transmission in December that means it must have arrived at least at some point earlier than that so how far back are we going we don't know Uh, but you go back and start examining you know the the tissue the blood whatever from people who who came in the hospital at that point you know at some point you're gonna start to say well maybe this started a lot er earlier than we realized
0: so now the question becomes well why and what does that mean? Does it mean that China had it and wasn't telling us? Does it mean maybe it was somewhere else? But then that's disruptive of the whole theory of the case about it originating in Wuhan. So what is more the most likely scenario? That they had it longer?
1: I think that the most likely scenario is still that it was circulating in China earlier than they realized. I mean, global travel is, is robust. I mean, we, we travel twice as much internationally now as compared to 10 years ago. I mean, you can circ- circumnavigate the globe before you even realize what's happening with a particular virus. But, but I, I think that, you know, Chris, you said this a while ago, as you, as you mentioned, uh, that that it probably uh, had been circulating a lot earlier than we realized. They, they identified these clusters of unusual pneumonias, I think, in November, late November, early December in China. And and then it was sometime after that that they finally said, OK, well, this is definitely a novel coronavirus, something that we haven't seen in human beings before. But, how you know, were there other clusters that just got missed, where there are other patients who said the doctors there or in other places around the world even said, it's, it's flu. Uh, we, we don't have to bother diagnosing it. This is acting like flu. And most of those patients did recover. So they didn't really dig too deep into it. Now that they have this obvious novel coronaviruses, some places, and not just in France, uh, we heard about this in California as well, where they found a patient actually had died of this on February 6th much earlier than we than we first thought uh, in many places around the world uh, they're going to start doing this My guess is Chris places that have large international airports the hospitals that service those areas are now going to start going back and looking at their patients from December maybe even earlier and saying hey was coronavirus already here
0: And look you know just to be clear the reason I have this curiosity one is because I believe it's going to turn out to be accurate from anecdote and second it's not about spreading fear it's about the opposite The longer this thing has been here, the better chance that we're going to have resistant people who have antibodies and didn't even know it. That's why, if anything, is fueling my curiosity. Uh, It's, you know, hope that we're going to get we're going to get a little bit of good luck here, that this has been around before it became so assaultive. Uh, And then you get to the projections. You know, Sanjay, I was a little slow on this story about the projections. One, I think there's too much wiggle room for the White House and the government to get away from owning these numbers. Uh, Obviously, the death tolls had to pop, but no matter what the number is, Sanjay, there's no reason to debate the reality. You reopen, you're gonna have more cases and more deaths, period. There is no other potential outcome.
1: Absolutely, I mean, no matter when this happens, there are gonna be people who get infected that otherwise wouldn't, get hospitalized who otherwise wouldn't and sadly may die who otherwise wouldn't. Um, I, I think it's just a question, just like you know, your previous guest and Dr. Fauci uh, as well said, what are we willing to tolerate? I mean, this has become almost an existential sort of question. I think there, there is a couple things though. One is that you know if you look at the models that, that a lot have been put forth, I mean, I think in many ways uh, they were the, the lower end of, of the projections. I mean, I was surprised, I think you were as well, Many when the IHME model became sort of the predominant model. Not that they're not good modelers, but Columbia had a model. The CDC had a model. There were a lot of models out there. Right. So now, you know, their models double almost overnight in terms of projected deaths. And even that is got to, I mean, look at that screen. That's a huge variation still. I mean, that's the nature of models, I guess, to have a huge variation. But before, you know, up until yesterday, they weren't even factoring in, Chris, the, the impact of reopening these states. Right. Now you're starting to see some of that impact. And, and the numbers jumped just like you, like you said. That, that, that's to be expected.
0: Right. Well, we took away the only thing that was keeping the numbers down. Uh, you don't have a cure. You don't have herd immunity. Uh, So the only thing you had was keeping the spread down by keeping contact down. And if you take that away, what do you think the models are going to do? They're going to pop. Um, You know, I feel for Tony Fauci on this because this is going to wind up redounding to a failure of the administration. You have a pop in cases. um, It's going to expose the weaknesses in the system, right? That we don't have the PPE that we need. We don't have the testing and tracing uh, that we need. That's the biggest part of uh, the, the mass delusion to me, Sanjay, is not things will be okay. Okay is subjective. If you want it to be okay, it's okay. You're not going to know the truth because while these states are growing their testing and tracing, none is anywhere near of being able to monitor half their population, let alone all of it.
1: That that that's absolutely right. And and the thing that's really struck me is that, you know, the the, the physical distancing measures. Uh, have had an impact. I mean, you know, and we've done something in this country and really in many places around the world, which I think a lot of people would have been shocked if you told them six months ago, this is what the world is gonna look like. It's had an impact. But I think what it's brought things down to, Chris, is is sort of a, a slower burn. I mean, there's still a lot of cases that are happening every day, a lot of people who are dying, sadly, every day. And we haven't really seen the back end of this curve yet. So I think this is what the data is telling us, that physical distancing will plateau us. It's not going to be a way out. So we have to maintain this for a period of time until there is an actual way out, which is either going to be a vaccine, which everyone talks about, a really effective therapeutic or a way to test so robustly that you can immediately find these, these patients who, are, who have the infection and isolate them. Uh, and we're not in a position to, to do those things yet. So for the, for the time being, and I think this is what Dr. Fauci is saying in a very Dr. Fauci way, is that we have to continue physical distancing. I've given you the guidelines, I've made them easy to read. I you know really spelled it out for people, governors and states all across America. If you're not doing it at this point, you, you must realize what's going to happen. We've seen it around the world, we've seen it here in the United States, and it doesn't just grow linearly once it starts to grow. Right. It grows like this slowly, and then exponential. That's what exponential growth is, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants it. No matter how much you want the economy to be open, nobody wants that. And, and finally, Chris, you showed those images, you know Central Park, you know today. You know, pe- people take risks all the time, right? But the difference here is you're not the one taking the risk. You're taking the risk for you, but you are possibly going to spread this to other people. That's what's different about this. This isn't just about, I'm gonna eat cheeseburgers and I'll take my risk, maybe I'll have heart disease, maybe I won't. You could harbor this virus and then spread it to other people. This isn't a normal kind of risk. We have to evaluate risk differently here because it's not just about any individual. And I think people realize that, and most people have done a really good job but, you know, we, we've got to stay the course right now, and we'll get through this.
0: They realize we've got it. we to stay the course. But they have to realize it right now. When they want to make that decision to go do something, they have to remember what they're doing to everybody else. Um, and let me just say quickly, Sanjay, uh, my gratitude tour, I wouldn't be here um, as soon as I have if I hadn't had your guidance. And I hadn't had your love and support. I'll never forget it. I've seen you do amazing things. I've never seen you control coverage the way you have in this story. Um, and you've done amazing things for a long time, but what you did for me personally, I'll never uh, forget. You will stand out in my mind for two reasons. Three, one, how you cared for me two. I've never seen someone your size carry me on their back with the legs that you have. And three, you use the word fishmonger, which I've never heard anybody use outside of Shakespeare, but those are uh, the first one is what matters most. Thank you for taking care of me and my family.
1: Hey, I love you. Uh, seriously, it was a nice moment between you and Dr. Fauci today as well. You got a lot of love around you, Chris. I'm glad you're feeling better.
0: Well, you are the real deal. Anybody who wants to know who you are, they get to see the real deal on television. Sanjay Gupta, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, all right. Thanks. Closing argument tonight. Tough one. Why? Because, look, we all know that rushing to reopen is risky. This really hard question, maybe the hardest one I've ever seen us take on, is the risk worth it? The answer seems to be yes, but I don't think we're really seeing it for what it is and what it may cost us and why we're doing it. This is tough and we're not treating it that way, but we should. So let's give it a try. Next. Hindsight will surely be 2020 after this. This year is going to loom large about lessons learned, about COVID-19, about communities across the country and the world. Personally, the lesson for me is obvious. My lesson is gratitude. It's my first day back in the office in more than a month. So many of you were so good to me, both in my family and to my family. I'll just say thank you. I will spend my time in this capacity trying to justify the faith that so many of you have put in me. But while my own COVID battle is mostly over, I'm worried that so many seem to think it's mostly over for all of us. And that is just dead wrong. Facts. Case numbers climbing pretty much everywhere. 68,000 plus deaths. Now, two weeks ago, the president said we would have 60,000 deaths, period. Now, his administration is reportedly privately uh, projecting they're going to be 9-11 like death tolls on a daily basis by early June. And yet they want to push reopening. Now, look, no one has accused this president of being fact focused or even read in on any of this, but you don't need him to mislead you. In fact, don't put this on Trump. We are deceiving ourselves. You know, the virus is still spreading in too many places. This shows it exposes the reality. You know, testing and tracing capabilities are nowhere near what we need to just get the truth of the risks that we all seem too ready to take. So why are we doing it? This is the hard part of the argument, because the agony of this is legitimate angst. We can't just say it's too soon. Why? Because it's almost too late for too many suffering real economic pain. 30 million unemployed. Who knows if they'll be able to find jobs again? It took us a decade to rebuild fewer jobs than that, literally 10 million fewer after 2008. Yes, different circumstances, but the desperation here is different too. We're talking food lines, not 401k's. Dreams dying, not just deferred. Even if you don't have COVID, this situation is making us sick. Mental health is going to open eyes as never before, and that'll be a good thing, but it's coming at a bad price. Those are the facts. But there's also feel fatigue. I've had it. Seasons changing. It's getting warm. Want to get back to it. Look at these fools. Fools. I know they want to be out there. Fools. It's not about you. What about the other people? And look, I'm not going to castigate you. That's not my job. I'm not your daddy. But we have to think about this. We are rushing to get back out of want, not just out of need. All right. Beautiful weather does not make for a beautiful reality. Yes, we're tired of bad news. Yes, the government is not doing things it should be. And there's no question that this is all real, but so are the numbers. The relaxing of stay home orders doesn't mean COVID isn't a problem anymore. In fact, the opposite is the truth. I know I said that already. I'm going to repeat a lot of things because it's not getting through. Things will get worse. I don't care how you reopen. So if we're going to go against the science, what is better? What is better than this reality? This is something I've been asking myself, and I hope you do as well. What are we rushing back to? Politicians are making this decision, not scientists. Fauci's not in charge. Don't ask him political questions. It's not his job. The politicians are doing this because of you. Politicians act out of fear of consequence much more often than they do out of good conscience. Okay? So that's what's going to happen now. We know we can't do nothing forever. But think about what you are so anxious to get back to in terms of normal and what you're going to lose that we've gained in this pandemic. Okay, think about it. Be careful what you have wished for. The time with family, the time together, the time leading more simply, the time thinking about where to go and where not. Those pictures of what we see in Venice of clearer water and clearer skies that they're showing us all over the world. I know we can't do nothing forever, but we can think about how to be together better. I'm just asking you to do this. I know what you wish for. I wish for the same. But remember, we may be headed back to a time that we think we remember as better, but we may live to regret. That is my argument, and I hope you give it a listen. All right, now when I come back, I wanna talk to you about what is at stake here, all right? The worst case scenario is dying, but what about short of that? I wanna show you what we can do you and me, not to make risks, but to make rewards for people. We can pay forward to heroes on the front lines. I got great ways. You want to know them? Stick around. Double dose of Americans for you tonight. First up, college students, Amy Guan and Reen Um. They came up with a service called Give Essential. Essential workers list what they need. They get paired with donors who can send the items free of charge. You want to get involved? Of course you do. Giveessential.org. E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L. Okay, giveessential.org. Second, remember Lauren Leander, the ICU nurse we had on from Arizona? Remember what she did? She didn't make a big stink. She didn't say anything, but she just stood there in her mask in front of the protesters and they let her have it in Phoenix last month. She saw our interview with Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez. Remember, that's the third biggest concentration of cases in this country is the reservation. There's the president himself. He told us how the federal government wasn't appropriately meeting its responsibilities on aid. Okay, even the virus uh, is going to be something that now they're going to have to live with with the insult to our humanity that those reservations have become. Lauren set up a GoFundMe page to help raise money for Navajo Nation hospitals and their workers. I'm gonna tweet out the link. The donations will be given to Nez who will oversee the funds. How about that? She's saving lives in an ICU, working 12-hour shifts, and thinks about how to do more. American. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with Dee Lemon starts right now.